All right, welcome to the podcast, the Noel Kassler podcast, episode ninth, as commenced. We're back here for another week to break down which what was one of the craziest weeks in in a year that had you know has already been insane, and we're just at May first today. We tape it on Saturday. It was an insane week, and and unfortunately, we've grown numb to that. But it's still find it. I still find it jarring and completely insane. So back here to help me break it all down is my main man, Jimmy Kennedy. Jimmy, how you doing on this fine Saturday? Doing fantastic, man. It's it's been decent weather in Indianapolis for a couple of days. So uh got a new hue for for the camera, you know, looking camera ready today. So that's, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, Jimmy's bright pink. He's got his hair slicked back. He's a lady killer. Saturday night. You guys will see this on the video clips. I got a little sun on my face. It's nice after that winter we had to to have the sun come out, you know. Hopefully. Yeah, but Rudy didn't have the best week of uh, of folks, and I'll tell you, with with the bus going down, it made me immediately think of uh, Borat and what he did in that hotel room. Man, him being so routine with that sort of criminality, it it just it really kind of boggles the mind as to what they might find in that office. Yeah, well, they're gonna find all kinds of stuff. I mean, Rudy's been a scumbag for a long time, and. Uh... I talked about that in my car rant yesterday, you know, the way he laid down on that bed and started unzipping his pants, you know, he'd been there before. He's like, oh, this is the part where this girl like, you know, takes care of me. That's insane. You know, and his excuse was that he was taking off his lavalier mic. One of the main responsibilities of my job was like having the audio guy come and put the lavalier mics on talent when we were shooting live shows. I never in my life saw somebody lay down on the bed to take their mic off. It's not a part of the gig. I've seen Beyonce get wired up. I've seen, you know, big stars and stuff. No one's ever laid down on a bed and started to unzip their pants. You know, he thought he was going to get him some. And he had no problem doing that with an obvious teenage girl, which is part of their M.O. Those guys traffic in young women because it becomes a status symbol. Once you get to a certain amount of power and wealth, unfortunately, it becomes easier and easier to exploit women. It's not that, you know, it's not that hard to meet women if you go out in a big city in a bar or something like that. And you're acting like a big shot and throwing money around. You can attract mm -hmm. women. So there's no reason to, to go for underage girls, you know, but it becomes a status symbol because it's illicit. You know, it's like getting the best caviar or something. That's a horrible analogy. And I'm not equating human beings to something rare. I'm trying to explain how these wealthy men view it and they use it as a currency. And that's what Matt Getz was getting involved in. You know, he was idolizing Trump. He was taking everything from his playbook, you know, being a troll, being this outsized, larger than life character, not really doing any work, you know, showing up with a gas mask on the floor of, of Congress. So he saw, like, how do you get real power? You know, you, you get real power by getting compromising material on your friends and your enemies. And his mm -hmm. father is the head of the Senate down there, the state Senate in Florida. So his father is probably like guiding a lot of these actions. And Tallahassee is particularly known for sort of using sex as a way to get legislation passed. There's a lot of great articles reporting on this in the Miami Herald. When it's when it's the end of the session and all the bills are getting passed, they send these women into these bars to meet these state senators. And they're sort of lobbyists that are willing mm. to go all the way. So it's nothing new, but I think it was something that that Matt Getz was trying to really get his uh, 
his his nails in, you know, and he was doing it himself. Obviously, he's, you know, he's not married, but obviously he's a a freak and a pervert, you know, and got some weird stuff. So he he was participating himself, but he, you know, he he wasn't just a customer. You know, I think he was trying to set up an operation there. And that's why they brought in Roger Stone to try to get Greenberg. I think that's his name, right? Try to get the guy a pardon. It came out this week that the guy had written a letter and saying, I witnessed, you know, Matt Getz having sex with a teenage girl, right? So he is screwed. And at that point, <laughs> Trump didn't give him a pardon. You know, Trump wasn't going to pardon this guy. And I think that's a sign of they all knew it was happening, but they figured this guy's expendable and Matt will be able to hold on to power. And that may not have been a foolish, you know, sort of strategy because Matt hasn't gone anywhere. He's still on the Judiciary Committee. You know, mm -hmm. the, the guy is like is now a publicly accused with an eyewitness congressman who was sleeping with a teenage girl, a 17 year old girl who he was paying, which is but both sex trafficking and prostitution. And he's mm -hmm. sitting on the judiciary committee. Well, and what's crazy too, is that when you look back at that Tucker Carlson interview, right. And he tries to loop in Tucker, you know, it might've been trying to link him to that whole operation, you know, that Tucker is somehow involved either as a customer or as an operator, you know, we, we don't know. And that's, <laughs> It kind of adds to the uh, it thickens the plot, if you will. It it definitely does, and and Tucker was definitely involved. I know, <laughs> you know, I don't have firsthand experience, but I could tell by the way that conversation went down when Matt gets <laughs> on Tucker's show. That's called throwing your buddy on the bus, under the bus. You know, he was like, "Hey, you remember that night? You remember those two chicks we were out with?" You know, Tucker wasn't there with his wife. I guarantee you, Tucker got home that night. <laughs> you know, and his missus yeah. was like, "Hey, what was he talking about?" Oh nothing. I don't know. He's crazy, you know, and he became persona non grata after that moment. Tucker will never have Matt Getz back on his show. You know, he, he's done. But he tried to say, like, look, you're in on this, too. And that's my point. That's what I'm talking about. These guys do this stuff to, to sort of give themselves impunity and immunity in these cases. You get other guys involved you're less likely to get in trouble yourself. And that's what Trump did for decades in New York City. He would have these parties. They were legendary, you know, at the Plaza Hotel. And he would like bring all his business associates and they'd all do cocaine. And then they'd go off into the bedrooms in the suites with these girls. And then he would, you know, he'd be recording them, you know, and like that's what Trump model management was. It was sex trafficking. It started with a thing called the look the look of the year contest, right? And it was elite models and they'd bring all these 14 and 15 year old girls over to New York City from Eastern Europe and stuff. And they'd take them out on this boat in New York Harbor. And, and all these businessmen would be there grinding with them on the dance floor of this yacht and stuff. There's a great article, Lucy Osborne is a reporter for the British Guardian does a great piece on this. And most people don't know these stories. They slip through the cracks, but and Trump got away with it like he did everything else. And he was sort of able to legitimize it when he bought the uh, the beauty pageants and stuff, which in itself is sex trafficking, you know, like Miss Teen USA. Like, what are you talking about, Miss Teen USA? Like, how do you have a contest where a bunch of grownups pick who the hottest teenager is? 
you know, in a bathing suit. Like right then and there, something is wrong. Like I'm not even on TikTok, you know, like I don't want to see a teenage, you know, if they're if I'm sitting on the beach, you see a hot girl who walks by, you know what I mean? But I'm not going to put them on stage and have a contest and see which one has a better body. You know, even Miss Universe was like 19 and 20 year old women. So he was able to legitimize and commodify the trafficking, the ranking and the exploitation of women. And it is he brought his daughter in on it. I mean, she was 16 years old when she was hosting Miss Teen U- U- Universe or Miss Teen USA, it was called that franchise. You know, it's a family affair. He would bring these girls over. He'd put them six in a bedroom. He had this apartment on the east side. And these girls would like be stuck in these rooms, you know, in these bunk beds and and he would make them pay off their freight, so to speak. Like he would charge them for their, their visas and things like that. And they would have, they were like indentured servants, you know, and they would have to go work these parties on his behalf. And none of them ever got modeling contracts or did any legitimate work. There was no AC. You know, one of them tells a story of a homeless guy peeing through the window and she woke up with pee coming on her face, you know, because the the home because you know, like they had no AC, like it was that substandard living. This is all documented. I'm not making this stuff up. You can look in Lucy's article and read this stuff. And that was Trump. And his daughter knew that his business associates knew that. But nobody was going to make that much noise because they were compromised in many ways, too, or they were greedy. And that's the playbook of the Republicans. That's what they're doing these days. That's what Rudy Giuliani is doing. It's that and it's trying to distract. You know, Rudy's going to have a press conference today. Unfortunately, I haven't seen what it is. So, you know, our listeners are going to probably have even more wild stuff. His face may melt off. He's going to Weehawken. You know, he's probably laying down some bets with Vinny on the, uh, you know, the the Kentucky Derby, which is later this afternoon. So after he, you know, after he sees his bookie, he's going to have a press conference. He's going to say a bunch of bat s crazy stuff and try to distract from the fact that he was working with the Ukrainians to get dirt on not only his political opponent, but to get a legitimate U.S. ambassador, Yovanovitch, I'm probably mispronouncing her name, to get her fired. Maria Yovanovitch. They were trying to get her fired because she was investigating corruption in Ukraine. And Rudy's buddies, his mobster Russian oligarch buddies who took control of the Ukraine or Ukraine, you know, under Paul Manafort's lobbying skills, wanted her gone. So so, you know, Rudy Giuliani became a lobbyist for Russian mobsters and was successful at it, incurring not only policy change and getting her fired, but also getting dirt on the political opponent of a sitting president of the United States. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. That is insane. That is a level of corruption we've never known in this country. And we've lived through some stuff. We're not some. You know, we're, we're not immune to scandal and corrupt poli- politicians, but this is on a whole new level. This is sloppy gangsta stuff. If this was in a, in a series you were watching on Netflix, you'd be like, that's unbelievable. Nobody would be that yeah. stupid. Nobody would get away with that kind of brazen stuff. Nobody would have a lawyer with his hair dripping off down the side of his face contesting an election. But that's happening. That's happening right now. They're recounting the election in Arizona and it's spreading what, what kills me, I mean, let's take a step back for a second. You know, there was a, there was all of this concern about Ukraine and Hunter Biden, right? And the supposed laptop that had all this information on it. Uh, you had the whole QAnon conspiracy, which was built on child pedophilia. 
the GOP has also inserted these stories on the opposite side to make it seem like the Democrats are the ones that are perpetuating all this criminality when it's really them. You know, we're continuing we're continuing to see this exposure of the the crimes that the GOP has accused uh, Democrats of. They're the ones actually doing it, carrying it out. You know, like that's it creates so much confusion and it adds to the level that Trump has tried to uh, sow misinformation, you know, day to day. It's it's crazy. Well, because it's Russian cyber ops, you know, it's Russian propaganda and Russian psychological warfare that he's committing on his base to manipulate them and retain power. That's why they used the QAnon thing. They're, you know, they're a pedophilia ring because Trump had a pedophilia ring. You know, he was a sex trafficker. He was getting 14 year old girls to sleep with his business associates. You know, that's pedophilia. It's not the it's not the technical definition. We don't you know, that's it's not sleeping with children. It's technically something different. But for all all intents and purposes and in the eyes of the law you know it, it's it's sleeping with minors and children trump was involved in that so the russians found a group of people that are most likely you know everyone unfortunately lots of women are likely to have like incest and abuse and, and sexual trauma and uh, history it, it's it's a pervasive problem in both parties with men all throughout this country and this planet you know mm. if you want to get real but they knew let's target these people in Michigan and Wisconsin. These female voters are most likely to be very receptive to that sort of psychological thing. Cause who's not against pedophilia? You know, who's not, who's not going to want to be a warrior against that. So they painted Trump as this warrior of that, you know, and Hillary Clinton as this villain who was running, you know, a sex trafficking ring out of a pizza shop. It sounds crazy, but when you're a dumbass and you're on Facebook, you know, and, and you get most of your information from Fox News and your stupid husband who's listening to his buddy next to him at the bar and then getting in his pickup truck and driving home with his NRA stuff and his Nazi, you know, memorabilia in the basement, it makes sense. And it gives you a sense of purpose. And that's what that's why it was so weaponized. And that's why that election was so insane and, and why this past election was so insane, because people feel like they're fighting good and evil. You know, they're, they're not just picking a president. They're in the Game of Thrones all of a sudden, you know, and the Democrats <laughs> are these socialist baby eating psychopaths that are coming to take their way of life. And you saw that in the Republican convention. It was insane. That thing was produced by Mark Burnett. I don't care what you tell me. He's a reality show producer and he knows how to manipulate people. You know, they had people giving speeches saying they were putting baby parts in a room and stuff. You know, there was crazy stuff in there designed to push those psychological buttons. And the Russians had done the research. You know, we just found out a couple of weeks ago that Kalimnik did, in fact, pass the information to the Russians. Right. The Trump voter data. That was what the data was. It was saying here we need to swing this county. Obama won it last time, but it's full of like white folks that make 60 grand a year that are susceptible to this stuff, that have responded to these articles that have clicked on them on Facebook when we say, hey, you know, Obama or Hillary wants to take your guns and stuff. You know, they gave them the exact analytics of who they needed to micro target. And then they amped it up into this QAnon batshit crazy stuff and they sold it to them and it worked and they built an army with it. That's why it's not going away. You know, most people would think like that guy's an idiot, Trump. 
you know, he's just he was just last night, like down at Mar-a-Lago babbling at somebody's wedding about how, you know, he was <laughs> he was still going to win. It's May 1st today and he still thinks he's going to like somehow win some recount. Right. But people haven't his supporters haven't waned from that. You know, it hasn't yeah. waned that kind of like insanity. They're, they're still doing recounts, as I just mentioned. So my point in that is that he has militarized these people. He built an army because normally people would be like, you know what? I'm sick of that guy. Biden's not so bad. I got a fat check in the bank, you know, or fat, you know, a decent check. Uh, you know, the economy's picking up. Everybody's getting vaccinated. Like there's hope again. You know, we're, we're coming out of a long, dark period, but his people are still fighting this war and still believing it's going to happen. And they're being egged on by the people that propagated it in the first case, you know, first first case promulgated. It. You know, Mike Flynn is still out there giving speeches every day. Lynn Wood has a big rally today. Bikers for Trump. They understand what they did. You know, the people behind it, the people that are getting manipulated don't understand how stupid they are and how much they're marks. But the people like Mike Flynn, the dangerous people, the Roger Stones, the Paul Manaforts, you know, these guys got pardoned for a reason because they went back to work for the campaign. You know, that's why Paul Manafort got out of jail and Mike Flynn and Roger Stone. They got pardons because Trump needed them and we didn't do anything to them. And they're still walking free and they're doing a lot of damage. Well, and one thing, um, you know, when you talk about Trump supporters, I think it all goes back to because I've tried to figure this out. It's one, a lack of self-confidence that Trump preys on and also like a lack of belonging. You know, they don't have any kind of belonging, whether it be in their church. You know, they, they feel like they're even a, uh, a black sheep within their own group of people. So this is like a fraternity, but for racist, you know, it's like a Nazi fraternity that Trump has created where it doesn't even matter what he says, you know, and going back to what you were saying about like the Republican convention this past year, Don Jr. was coked out of his mind on live television, yep. giving a speech where his eyes were in the back of his head. Exactly. And we, we watched that in real time. And so like, he's right. And one more thing that I want to say, because they were recounting the, the votes with the private company. This is math. This is numbers. This is an art that's up for interpretation. This is numbers. And they're still recounting it. I mean, it's the definition of insanity. And we've said it. But like, guys, it's figures here. Like, you're not going to change it unless it's being manipulated with. Exactly. And the company that's recounting them is called Cyber Ninjas. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like a private company that's like giving money to Trump. It's insane, but it's dangerous because it's basically they're doing it right in front of your eyes. And, and what it's going to lead to is we're not counting the votes. You know, if this county doesn't vote Republican next time, we're not even going to report the tallies. That's what they're doing. They're, they're sort of having this insanity and this QAnon stuff make its way into the firmament of the state and local GOP infrastructure. That's what's happening. That's what's so scary about Arizona and Georgia and why it has to stop because they're taking democracy and they're gonna just claim we won. Sorry, we're sending Marjorie Taylor Greene next time. You know, like we're sending, you know, Andy, whatever from, you know, the bonehead from Arizona whose own family was like, this guy's a psycho, you know, don't send him to Congress. They're, they're, they're taking it. And because they'll get away with it. And that Trump got away with everything forever. And now these other folks in D.C. saw that it worked like Matt Gates isn't like 
hiding. He, he's doing a rally today with Aunt Marjorie Taylor Greene at the villages, you know, in South Florida, where Trump has an army of supporters that are these old white people that went down there to retire and be racist in the sunshine. You know, it's like you said, Jimmy, it is a fraternity. It's a, the Confederacy of Dunces. It's a brotherhood of <laughs> white people that like, oh, you got a you got a flag too. me too. Yeah, I hate them liberals. Uh, yeah, I hate them. You know, like it's this ignorant, the dumbest part of America, the people I went to high school with that were just like the stupidest guys in shop class, you know, like not that there's anything <laughs> wrong, but it's like those kind of guys that I thought would fade away and, and sort of like, you know, education and society progressing and multiculturalism would kind of wash out, have become the mainstream. You know, like everybody's got this big jacked up pickup truck and like listening to Leonard Skinner and just, you know, being a dumbass. And and, and and Trump saw that and branded it. And like you said, like Don Jr. was coked out. So was his girlfriend. You know, that chick was insane. <laughs> like she was just screaming. Any sentient being would be like, oh, the Republicans are going to lose. Like they're going to get 10 percent of the votes after this thing, because like this is a disaster, you know. It was it, it was an SNL cold open in real time. It was it was unreal. It was unbelievable, you know. And uh, you know, Giuliani. Uh, did I, I did I ever tell you the story? The first time I worked with him, you know, I, I did a lot of stuff with Giuliani. Nine eleven ceremonies where he'd show up. His wife hit on me once right in front of him. The wife <laughs> just left him, you know. And he was like, "Oh, that guy works for the mayor's office." I didn't. I worked for the TV production, but he like got mad and dismissed me. And she was like making eyes with me, and he would walk around and like smile and glad hand on the mornings of the memorial. And those 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 were the most somber events you could ever imagine. And I actually stopped doing them. My last one was the opening of the museum, and we had like five living presidents come, but um. They were such an emotional thing. My job was to like bring the, the I dealt with the dignitary, dignitaries in the VIP tent, but the main focus for the first bunch of years was to have these children get up on a stage and they'd read their parents' name, you know? Oh, wow. and, and I did it from when these kids were like, you know, two, three years after the event, right? 2003, 2004 to like 2012 when these kids were like teenagers and stuff. And it was like heartbreaking and, and you couldn't, you couldn't participate in the ceremony that morning and not be just wiped out emotionally. I, I can't even describe how somber a situation it was, right? Every year, Giuliani would walk into this thing like it was a business conference that he was psyched to be at. He would be smiling. He would be high-fiving people. It was disgusting, you know, and it showed you everything about his character. He wasn't the hero of 9-11. He exploited 9-11. You know, his his like uh, disaster tower, you know, was on one of the towers that blew up and it had big tanks of like diesel fuel on top of it. And it was destroyed. It should have been in Brooklyn, as the chiefs told him to put it there. Right. But his ego wanted it in Wall Street. So he'd have a photo op when he walked from City Hall down to Wall Street because it was a given that the terrorists were going to attack again after 93. It was just we knew everyone knew it was going to happen. It was just a question of when and the city had to prepare for it. And. Giuliani prepared for it in a way that would help him politically, that he would be able to use it as a photo op. And that's what he used it for. You know, when you saw him walking with the mask over his face through the rubble, that was all a staged photo that was designed so he would definitely have that walk. He didn't know the command center was going to blow up and both the towers were going to come down, you know, but yeah. 
my point is he, he wouldn't listen to the logistics of people who knew better. He would he would serve his own interests. And that's who the guy was. And I, the first, I did a show with him actually down there in the late 90s. It was the Goodwill Games, which was this thing like uh, that Ted Turner had. It was like an Olympics type event. And Ted Turner had it. And I was down there with Jimmy Carter and a bunch of people. And I got assigned to to bring Giuliani to stage, right? So we had this stage set up and they were going to like ring a bell or light a, they light a flame or something, you know, it was like the opening ceremony. And it was down there right at Battery Park at the Wintergreen, like right at, right where if you see the towers fall on, on TV, like that's where they fell on, you know? Mm. And uh, so we're down there. And as I said, this is late nineties, this is years before 9-11, but I had to go up and get Rudy out of this dressing room because I had Jimmy Carter on stage, George Pataki, who was the governor of, of New York at the time, who who Giuliani absolutely hated, um, <laughs> Ted Turner, some, a couple other you know big shots. So oh, I go yeah. to get Giuliani. I walk into the then these are his words, not mine. I walk into the the dressing room. He's getting makeup on. He's sitting there actually. Now that I think about it, he's splayed out in his makeup chair, so his like groin is sort of prominently kind of right there. <laughs> he's got his pants on, but he's actually in a very casual kind of way. That in hindsight was not how most people would sit in a makeup chair, right? This lady makeup artist is putting makeup on him. I said, "Mr. Giuliani, you know it's time to bring you to stage now." He turns and looks at me, takes the paper script. It's called sides. You know, it's your, your dialogue, right? He took his sides, crumpled it up and threw it at me and said, I'm not fucking saying that. I'm not fucking going anywhere until you change that joke. And I get in my headset and I'm like, um, Giuliani, Mr. You know, Mayor Giuliani is not going to come down. He's he's yelling at me. <laughs> you know, like I'm like in my late 20s, like this is insane, you know. Yeah. And I said, you know, they're like, hey, just tell him we'll change it in the teleprompter when I get down there. He goes, I'm not fucking falling for that. Fuck you. I'm not I'm not getting out of this chair until you show me hard copy that it's been changed. Like he was savvy enough about like how TV worked that he wanted to see right. it printed out in the script, which takes a long time. You know, we, we were getting ready to go live like I needed him on that stage now. I don't even know why he was still in the makeup chair. He should have been done. But he was basically there was two things happening. He was controlling the event by throwing a tantrum. He was making an ex-president, Jimmy Carter, wait in the hot sun. You know, he was making the governor wait and he was screwing up the whole production and throwing a ta tantrum. And then so we finally changed it and I brought him up the new script and brought him down there. And uh, the joke was, welcome to New York. It's a beautiful city. Just don't jaywalk. Right. So it was a self-effacing joke because he was seen as a little dictator. You know, he was a little Mussolini who was cracking down on everybody. And that was his big thing. And by then the city had turned on him. You know, he got a lot of credit for doing that when it first happened, even though the whole thing was, was sort of racist and, and he did nothing good and all that. Anyway, it was it happened by a different set of policing that that started treating black on black crime as seriously as seriously as they took crime in the rest of the city and that brought numbers down overall but giuliani took credit for all this as he does you know and uh so he and and, and people were on to him like he he tried to like not have an election after 9 11 like he tried to use it to hold on to power and he wasn't able to do that but he was able to rehab his image in a way that made him america's you know mayor Right. And then he started a company where he traveled the world giving talks on security and charging millions of dollars <laughs> and made a fortune off of something that 
you know, killed a lot of people, continued to kill people because the air wasn't safe to breathe, even though he told everybody it was safe to breathe. And I lived across the street from him at 180 East End. Right. And I looked down on Gracie Mansion every night when he came home in the months after that. And he would get out of his SUV and he'd have a mask over his face and it would be like November. And we all knew the air wasn't safe to breathe because that's on the East River, which is Hell's Gate. You know, it's where the Harlem River meets the East River. And it's a very windy, treacherous boating area. And these winds would change in the middle of the night, like with the tides. And you would feel like we would leave our windows open and smoke would come into our apartment. You know, in October and stuff, in the months after 9-11, like it was still burning and you could smell like this is not good for you. You know, 10 million computers burning up is not good for you, not to mention asbestos and whatever else was in that building. But in the days after, he said, oh, it's safe to breathe. Go back to work. It was a lie. He knew it was a lie, but it helped him. It, it hurt the city, but it helped him. And that's who he is. He, he's a gangster and a horrible human being. I tell people this all the time. If you think Trump is bad, I think I said this on the show. Rudy Giuliani makes Trump look like a nice guy. And I've worked with both of those guys, you know, and they were they were also partners in many ways because it was Rudy who chased out the Italian mob, which was Trump's first business partnership was the Genovese crime family. What that was his dad's, you know, that's who his dad built for. And then Trump came to Manhattan and started building for the Gambino crime family, you know, and fat Tony Salerno and stuff. And even Trump's dad was like, that's not our territory. But Trump was an upstart and he wanted to move into Manhattan and he got all these buildings built. And then he screwed over the Italian mob because that's what Trump does and cut a better deal with the Russian mob. So Giuliani got all the Italians basically put them in their place and clamped down on them and didn't pay any attention to the Russians who came in and took over. And the Russian mob is like, you know, it's like the. It's like the Patriots compared to like your high school's football team. You know, <laughs> you know it's, it's a whole other level, you know. So that's who these guys are. And that's why Giuliani was Trump's lawyer through the election, because they both have so much on each other. And that's is where it's going to get interesting, because somebody's going to rat on somebody. Trump's been ratting on people since the 1980s. He would rat on FBI informants back when he was dealing with the mob in Atlantic City. Like he's a known rat. Right. Giuliani, on the other hand, hasn't been in this situation before and he's batshit crazy and he's an alcoholic you know he's drunk every night too is the other thing with him but uh we don't know what's going to happen he's obviously in trouble but god knows how it's going to play out well and we, and we know that trump is uh mobbed up and that's obviously why he's able to walk around with impunity like nothing's going to happen to him but and you know you can explain the whole thing but don't rats usually like get in trouble like how made is trump to be walking around excellent point jimmy and i tell people this all the time and i hope the listeners get this if you want to understand trump here's the thing you got to understand about how made a man he is he built casinos in south jersey right atlantic city is south jersey it's his mob territory as you're ever gonna get (laughs) Okay, he built all these casinos and the guy who would put in the carpeting or the guy who would put in the brass railing at the Taj Mahal or whatever would then get stiffed. Trump wouldn't pay their bills and he would drag it out in court until he had to pay them pennies on the dollar. In many cases, he never paid. And these craftsmen, you know, these guys who own these companies that did all this work for him went bankrupt. Some of them killed themselves because it took away their livelihood and they were completely screwed. Okay, so a guy like that ripped off 
tradesmen, construction workers in South Jersey, and nobody took a hit out on them. Think about, you know, a guy owes you a couple hundred grand, you did a job for him and he's not paying you, you know, in Atlantic City. You could go to a diner and hand a guy an envelope full of cash <laughs> and say, I need you to like get my money back for me. You know, this guy's uh -huh. got three kids walking around. He's out in broad daylight all the time. Send him a message, right? That never happened to Trump and he knew it wouldn't happen to him. Right. So that gives you an idea of how much sort of impunity he has and how he feels he's above the law with the mob because he got away with all that, dude. He got a, he you know, his executives died in a in a in a helicopter crash when they were cooperating with a money laundering investigation for Taj Mahal. And they were on a chopper. Right. Trump owned a fleet of choppers, choppers, helicopters at that point. Right. He had these helicopters with his name on the side of them and everything. Right. But these guys were called to Manhattan for a meeting. And that day, Trump was like, no, get on this rental helicopter. You know, don't take the one with my name on it, which is Trump's M.O. Right. Everything has his name on it. You know, on The Apprentice, the helicopter had his name on it. Right. <laughs> but on this particular day, when these executives were cooperating with the feds, they got on another helicopter. That helicopter went down in the Pine Barrens in New Jersey on its right outside of Atlantic City. Everybody on board was killed. Later found out there was a hairline fracture in the rotor that they said happened in the factory, but no other helicopter from that factory had the same accident, right? But Trump's legal problems went away because those executives died and the case, you know, was closed. They didn't they couldn't investigate. These guys were dead, right? Trump made up a lie after the fact that he was supposed to be on the helicopter. You know, he was like, oh, that could have been me. I would have been on the helicopter. Yeah, you would have been on a rental helicopter that didn't have your name on it. No, you wouldn't. You put your guys on that thing. That's as mobby as it gets. But he got away with it. He gets away with everything. Look at the inaugural. You know, there's a, more information has come out about his inauguration. He raised one hundred and seven million dollars for his inauguration, his one inauguration. I did both of Barack Obama's inauguration, okay, inaugurations. The first one in 09, we had like events over five days. We had 10 balls on the Saturday night, you know, or the Tuesday night of the inauguration. We had a concert on the mall, you know, the, which we aired on HBO. We had everybody there. I've told you about it before. I mean, we had Springsteen and Bon Jovi and Beyonce and Stevie Wonder and Sting, like everybody came to town. The whole bill was $54 million, right? Trump raised $107 million and had like three doors down playing, you know, like there was yeah. nobody there. You know what I'm saying? There was nothing. He had a couple high school marching bands and there was 10 people in the scaffolding in front of the White House and $107 million disappeared, right? And his daughter, Ivanka, was in charge of all this and she overbooked everything. So she would say, yeah, you're going to have an event in Trump Tower, you know, or Trump Hotel, right? Uh, the ballroom's going to cost 300, you know, $300,000 that night yeah. you know, when it normally would cost $30,000. You know, she just jacked everything up because they knew they'd get away with it. And what happened? They got away with it. People barely even talk about that anymore. The D.C. attorney general decided to investigate this stuff, took sworn testimony from Don Jr. And he lied. He said he didn't know Stephanie Winston Wolkoff, who, who I know we communicate sometimes. And, uh, you know, Trump's like, or Don Jr. was like, ah, I don't know her. Yeah, I, I never met her. I heard the name, but I wouldn't recognize her if she walked into the room. And then, you know, Mother Jones did an article. They got video of the guy at one of the balls, Don Jr. going, yeah, Stephanie's the best. She pulled this off for us, you know, her and Tom Barack. 
but they get away with it and then they lie about it. And my point here is it doesn't matter. The crime doesn't matter. The lies don't matter. What matters and what they learned, and Trump learned this from Roy Cohn, is controlling the narrative, is getting your lies out there. That's the most important thing. And that has sort of been weaponized by these guys because what we talked about at the top of the show is they have their true believers. So the true believers are going to think it's the right thing to do, just like Southern Christians think homophobia is the right thing to do right now. You know, they think Jesus wants you to have a gun. Like Jesus does not want you to have a gun. And if he really loved you, you probably wouldn't be born in Alabama. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah, I love Alabama, but you know what I'm saying? Like they yeah. could use any kind of hatred and malfeasance and criminality to like to disguise what they're doing if if they have the faithful on their side. It's like you said last week. They're like televangelists. So really the only thing that matters is getting to the microphone. You know, okay. getting your side of the story out there. And unfortunately, we live in a time where that can happen. You know, Rudy Giuliani has a podcast. He's already talked about these events on his podcast. You know, he was on Hannity or somebody that night talking about this stuff. You know, they have, and that's a weapon, you know, too much, too much social media and too many outlets are a dangerous thing because people don't know what the truth is anymore. And they pick what they want to hear and the algorithms then feed them what they need to hear. And then they, they get all jacked up in these echo spheres and you can't, you can't talk somebody out of that kind of stuff. You know, it's going to take generations to clean up the mess. And I don't know that we'll ever clean it up because we've never been here before. No. And, and the, the most uh, embarrassing part of it all is that CEOs like Mark Zuckerberg don't care. You know, at the end of the day, he's going to get his cut of his stock that he's invested in and he's going to continue to build Facebook into the monster that it's become. It's kind of a Frankenstein of, uh, you know, Silicon Valley to be able to build a weapon this powerful. You know, we've put the entire social experience online. People don't have to go outside and talk to people if they don't choose to. And they can, as you said, you know, they can uh, insulate themselves in the cocoon of what makes them comfortable. And just as a human being, that doesn't make you a better person, you know, like, Get out there, gain experiences that are different than your own, because overall that that helps you develop empathy, which Trump supporters have none at this point. I, I've met I have not met one Trump supporter with, uh, you know, an ample amount of empathy. They, they don't have empathy. And that's, you know, yeah. as, a, as a theme of mine is talking about the taking the humanities out of out of public education. You know, that's what Reagan came in and, and did. They don't have empathy because they're not exposed to other cultures. They're being exposed to what they're being sold as the righteous American culture. You know, I saw a picture on Twitter the other day. There was an American food section in somebody's local shop, right, or something. You know, and it was like Jello and stovetop stuffing and Aunt Jemima, like you know, corn syrup. You know, mm -hmm. pretending to be maple syrup and just just junk junk food and that's we're a junk food nation you know we're, we're and it's like i said earlier you know it's like the dumbest people with the lowest common denominator and lack of sophistication and you don't have to this is not a wealth thing it's not a socioeconomic thing you could i grew up pretty you know deprived of certain things i had a single mom who had me when she was 19 we didn't have a lot of money around but we had a lot of books 
back then it was the seventies. Like you'd get to, your schools would go to the ballet, you know, you go see the nutcracker suite on a school field trip. You would have arts, you had band, you had like symphonies, you had plays, you had all these things that expose people to their own humanity. And when you feel your own humanity, humanity, you see it in others and that breeds empathy and that breeds understanding. And that's what you want in the world. You want immigration. You want people to come here from other cultures. That's what makes us great. And that's what makes life interesting. I don't want to eat Aunt Jemima like pancakes for breakfast every day. I want a frittata. You know what I mean? I want lox and I want, you know, smoked salmon. And I want like things that are coming in from other countries and other cultures. That is what is going to put a rich palate on this country that's that's quite honestly very deprived of of culture. And the lack of culture leads to the lack of civility, leads to lack of empathy, as you said. And then it's easier to weaponize these people because there's nothing that feels good inside of them. So let's tap into the bad feelings. You know, let let's let's like stoke that hate and get them to do our bidding. And it's not going to benefit them. It's going to benefit an idiot like Trump and a Mike Flynn and all these kind of horrible people that are just in the wings manipulating these folks. I mean, think of that, whoever paid for that wedding at Mar-a-Lago that Trump just went to. I think the video was actually on Thursday night. Like, you're paying for a wedding, and then Trump's going to ramble onto the stage, amble onto the stage, take the microphone, and do 10 minutes on why he should have won the election in Uh May, you know, at the end of April. You know, like, that's insane. He should be locked up, but he won't be locked up because there's money in it and because there's a whole institutional structure behind what gave us Donald Trump. That's Fox News. That's Reaganomics. That's why they're fighting so hard against Biden's plan. You know, there's nothing wrong with Biden's plan. It's it's ambitious. We should try to solve some of these problems once and for all. We should try to eradicate childhood poverty. We should have nursery school care as a guarantee and health care as a guarantee. Like that is going to make this a much better country to live in. And it's the same type of people that don't want to like the, up here in New York, right? I, I see all these guys on Facebook, the same type of dudes I went to high school with that have the big jacked up pickup trucks and stuff. And they're all moving to Florida now, not just for the cultural thing, but because they're like, Governor Cuomo sucks and the taxes suck and the road <laughs> suck. Well, the roads suck because you're driving a fucking Bigfoot monster truck, you know, <laughs> down to CVS every day, you know, to get your ding dongs or whatever the hell you're eating, you know, like, The roads suck because you're using them and your automobile is way too big, but you don't want to pay your taxes. You know, you don't want to pay for this infrastructure. You want everything to be great and you don't want to pay for it. And you don't want to look at how come the party that you're aligned to protects the billionaires. You know, 77 percent of the taxes or whatever it is that's paid in this country are most of the taxes are paid by the lower 77 percent. They're paying the bill. It's like this. If you went to dinner, right? You know, and Bill Gates was at your dinner, you know, and there was 10 people there and like the check came and it was like, no, the guy from the mailroom is going to pick up the check, you know, or everybody pony in. We'll go Dutch except for Bill. He's going to give us a dollar or he'll take care of the tip. You know, that's what's happening now. The billionaires are picking up the tip and we're paying the check. And Amazon, you know, all I see now are Amazon delivery trucks. All you see in Manhattan, they stop on the street and a van opens up and 10 guys come over and they fill up carts with Amazon stuff and they walk around all day delivering it. Like Amazon has taken over. There are no mom and pop shops left in Manhattan. 
you know, and the roads, every highway is a big Amazon truck. So they're not paying any income tax. He's not paying for the roads that he's driving trucks on 24 hours a day, putting potholes on bridges that he's driving over, you know, weakening their structure. They're not paying for this, but they're making billions of dollars. And then they take their billions of dollars and what do they want to do with it? Well, I want to go to space. I want, you know, what you want to go to space. How about you like, you know, how about you like figure out how to like send some money to India where people are dying, you know, because they don't have the vaccines that you're, you know, that we're not even taking anymore. Like, how about you try to eradicate childhood poverty? How about you do something good? Go to space. What are you talking about? You know, like that's the dumbest thing in the world. Like, I don't, you, do, do you see the point I'm making? Your Elon Musk yeah. and your Jeff Bezos. It's like, they get all this money. They're like, well, I'm going to build a rocket ship. No, give some of it back. Build a road before you build a rocket ship. Well, here's the deal. You know, you, if you have the power to turn a planet into earth, you have the ability to fix earth. The one that we are currently living in. Like, that's the problem. And, you know, you were talking about how like, billionaires only picking up the tip i've never understood like if a celebrity goes into a restaurant like saint elmo's in indianapolis uh if carson wentz who's our new quarterback in indianapolis walked into uh saint elmo's they might give him you know a free meal well why don't you give the family of four a free meal instead of the million dollar quarterback you know who are you really trying to impress that's another issue with america we've lost touch with being humane toward the right class Poverty is looked down upon in America when it should be empathized with. And that's that's what I've talked about through most of today. Uh, but it's just it's become it's like it's on steroids now. It's just another catalyst of the of the grifting and the, the greedy mentality that we see from a lot of folks. Absolutely. And that's another legacy of sort of Reaganomics and the kind of, you know, no free handouts. You know, this myth of full, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. It doesn't happen, you know, and if you're if you're like, you know, an African-American, a minority in this country or you're born poor, it's almost impossible to get out of that circumstance because you're not getting the free breaks that the wealthy are getting. You're not getting to go to these edu- you know, great schools. You're probably not getting a lot of the scholarships because those are being taken up by, you know, Miff- Muffy and Buffy, you know, and their kids that are playing lacrosse or whatever, you know, <laughs> and have the you know, don't have to work after school. So. But they've demonized poverty and and it's seen, you know, that the, a lot of Lee Atwater was a Republican strategist. And a lot of that came as by like saying that they're lazy. You know, it's, it's a racist trope. It's they're lazy. They don't want to work hard. I made this. You know, I used to work for this guy in Manhattan who owned a publishing company in the 90s. And he was a really wonderful old New York liberal guy. But he was a Brooklyn guy, you know, grew up in World War, you know, before World War II, he said World War II was the first time he had three meals a day in his life because he grew up poor on the streets of Brooklyn, you know, and the government enlisted him and he, he, you know, he got to eat, you know, like, and then he built a big successful company in Manhattan and he gave a ton of money. He was an early supporter of Andrew Johnson and Atlanta and stuff. And he would always hire African-Americans and, and, you know, Latin Americans, anybody he could get his hand on basically who wasn't white and didn't like, you know, and he would hire white people too. He hired me. I mean, I look as white as you get, but like, he would say to me, like, 
you know, whether you think it or not, just by being born white in this country, you have such a leg up, you know, like he realized that he's like, whenever you hear these white guys talking about, I built everything myself, I pulled myself. He's like, it didn't happen. You didn't do it yourself. You got a handout somewhere along the line. And somebody like Trump, the GI Bill was their whole fortune. You know, it was it was what they called socialism, right, was FDR, you know, and, and like the New Deal was all these FHA loans that Trump's dad took advantage of to build all this housing that was his empire. Right. He got these no interest loans from the government. And that's how he started building real estate. Right. Those that's mm-hmm. socialism. He was getting a handout from the government and then he cheated on his taxes and taught his son to, how to cheat on his taxes. And, you know, Don taught his kids how to cheat. You know, they took something from the government. They'll, Don would be the, Donald Trump used to take a star deduction in New York City. That's meant for people who make less than 350,000 a year, 500,000, and it has to do with a school tax, right? Trump would claim that tax, right? Mm-hmm. If we were going to school together and there was an option of free lunch, Trump would be taking it, trust me. So they'll take handouts. They just want to pretend like they don't and they want to demonize the people who do. And that's, part of the same con you know it's part you wrap it up in a flag and wrap it up in this like well white people just work hard and those other people don't want to do the <laughs> bullshit you want a free ride you want cushy things you know you want a low interest like deal on your big mega truck instead of driving the same truck that you drove 10 years ago you that's know human nature man yeah that's human nature um one point that i was gonna make was that like trump's you know, he's always touted that he's a billionaire, but the guy, I think Nick brought it up in our bonus podcast, which you could check out on YouTube. The guy eats like cheeseburgers. You know, he has no class either. Like when you look at, you know, KFC and McDonald's is primarily his diet. You know, like the guy doesn't seem to be in touch with a lot of uh, the upper class of New York. No, he's not because that that society rejected him. And, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with the people who eat cheeseburgers and stuff, but he doesn't even eat like good cheeseburgers. He eats McDonald's, bro. You know, he <laughs> eats stuff that's poison that, you know, that and, it, and it's served to, to communities, you know, knowing it's a poisonous food. And what is the, what do you think McDonald's McDonald's pays in taxes? Not very much, you know. Yeah. They don't want to raise their minimum wage. But yeah, Trump has low, I don't want to say low class because that's not fair, but he doesn't have the sophistication that one would normally have given that much resource because he's just not curious about things. He doesn't want to try caviar. He eats his steaks well done. He wants a burnt steak on his plate. You know, the guy owns restaurants in his hotels. You know, he's got people that could get a nice cut of meat and cut it, you know, cook it perfectly. He's not interested in that. And, you know, when he had his hotel there in D.C., I guess it still exists and nobody goes there, but they had the restaurant and they used to order extra large shrimp for for Trump. This is while he was president because he'd come in and eat. And one time he came in and ate and he saw that because he starts every meal with a shrimp cocktail. When he sits down, within two minutes, there has to be a Diet Coke. It has to be poured in front of him, and there has to be a shrimp cocktail on his plate, right? So this happened in, like, the John George's restaurant that's in the Trump uh, Hotel. I think it's John George's, right? And one time he sat down, and his his dining partner got the same size shrimp as him, you know, and he freaked out. So now they order extra jumbo shrimp just for Trump, you know? But that's it, shrimp cocktail, which is shrimp you know, in ketchup. And it was invented, St. Elmo's. Now that you mention it, you know, Indiana call back, right? St. Yeah, Elmo's right. invented the shrimp cocktail. But Trump would have to get extra big shrimp cocktail, 
you know, and he never eats vegetables. He doesn't eat salad and he eats a, a well done steak and then probably has McDonald's on the way home. He loves the McDonald's, the fat and sugar. Part of that is he's an addict, you know, and that's what your body craves. When your liver gets all messed up from using drugs, Mm-hmm. your sugars get all messed up. So your body is craving fat and sugar because it's not healthy. Your liver is just working overtime to produce all this stuff and your blood's all out of whack. So your body just wants the, another fix of something that will sort of spike it. And that, so that's why he eats the fast food too. And one, one point I wanted to make too, when you were talking about how uh, income inequality, that's something that we talk about a lot on this show. For folks that are against the $15 minimum wage, think about it for a second. I'm not saying that you, uh, for folks that are like offended and think that, you know, part-time jobs don't deserve a $15 uh, quota. If you're getting $15 now, you should get 25. Like you're not, you're not who we're trying to attack here. We're to, we're looking at like Jeff Bezos, that kind of wealth, not middle-class wealth. I, I think that's kind of where the con has also been misinterpreted by these, these Trump people, because we're just trying to even the playing field a little bit here. It's not like, I don't know. It's just confusing, man, that, the links that these folks will go to ruin their own future. It's amazing. Well, yeah, they don't see it. They don't think about it in terms of their future. It's all about, you know, short-term gains. That's how Trump lives his life. And and that became intoxicating to the rest of these guys. You know, your Jim Jordans, all your GOP guys, your Tom Thune, who was one of the guys who came out against the, you know, raising the minimum wage. It was like, when I was a kid, I worked for $5, you know, whatever, you know, at, mm-hmm. at Chucky Fried Chicken or something, you know? Like none of these guys are playing fair. You you hit the nail on the head when you said leveling the playing field. This whole movement right now is about moving the goalposts and making sure the playing field does not become level because they will get their asses kicked. You know, (laughs) that's what we saw in the attorney general confirmation hearings. That's what we see why they're so scared of AOC. They're scared of, of women, of people of color, you know, of African-Americans getting the same opportunities they got. Because then you're Andrew Giuliani, you know, you're Don Jr. (laughs) These guys get even more exposed for the idiots they are. You know, Giuliani's son, quote unquote, you know, that is his son. (laughs) It's Eric Trump is Giuliani's kid. If you look at them, they're they're the same person. And all those guys were swinging back in the day. And you'll never convince me that like that's Don's kid. But um, Andrew Giuliani got a job in the White House as the sports liaison. You know, like, what is that even? And now he's trying to run for governor. They fail upwards their whole lives. And that becomes a way of life that they desperately need to protect because you don't want to lose the big house in the suburbs. You know, they don't want to lose the Mercedes Benz. They don't want Cokey McSnuffalot, you know, McDate rape. When he gets out of pen, they want him to get a job on Wall Street, you know, with his fraternity brothers hiring him. You don't want to look at his record. You don't want him to compete with somebody who's really going to kick his ass. You know, because somebody who's going to want it more. That's what this is all about. It's an extenuation of white supremacy. That's what Tom Cotton is all about. You know, saying we don't have enough incarcerated people. We've always used law enforcement to hold down minorities, hold down poor people and hold down blacks. That's the traditional thing since slavery ended. That's what Jim Crow was all about. Right. Like we're here. They're here, too. But if they get the same opportunities we do, we're screwed. That's their fearful mindset. So that's what these guys are trying to protect. 
That's what it's all about these days. And unfortunately, they're winning. You know, that they're not being stopped in the way they need to. A Marjorie Taylor Greene is raising millions of dollars off of the hate she's spewing. A Lauren Boebert has become a star in the Republican Party. You know, they're attacking Lynn Cheney, a guy whose dad was like Darth Vader for the Republicans. <laughs> you know what I mean? He started wars to increase their profit margins, you know, literally killed millions of people. So Kellogg, Brown and Root could make some more money. Halliburton, you know, it's the same company like these guys and they're turning on them. You know, it, it's Trump has corrupted that situation more than people realize. And I, and I really hope like the thing with Giuliani this week shines some light on it. And I hope we look at as a nation. I hope we kind of take another deep breath. I know everybody wants to move past it. You can't move past it yet. You know, he, he's no longer president, but he's still there. He's still building this army. He's still raising money and he's still getting his people to go along with this. And those guys aren't going away. There's people cheering on this recount right now in Arizona. That should terrify people. It's May. Trump lost. He doesn't get to keep raising money saying he's going to take back the election. He knows he lost, but he knows there's a lot of money in pretending that he didn't lose. And the one thing we always had in this country is a peaceful transfer of power. And that's one of the things Trump took from us. This was the first year we didn't have that. Well, 2000, 2000 was too. And that was another bullshit thing where the Republicans, they stole that election. The Supreme Court handed it to George Bush. The Supreme Court decided. And look who we have on the Supreme Court now. You know, Brett Kavanaugh is, is a drunk rapist. You know, there's no better way to describe that guy. He is somebody who is emotionally and is intellectually and is like spiritually unfit to serve on the judiciary as anyone has ever been. He, he is a bad man who's going to do really bad things with a lifetime appointment. Amy Coney Barrett is right behind him. Those are two people. And they got Neil Gorsuch, right? So there's three people that are going to decide who gets to win the next election. That's what this stuff is about in Arizona. You know, it, that's what they tried to make the last recount about. They knew they weren't going to get enough votes. What they were trying to do was kick it up to the Supreme Court because that was the plan C, right. you know, or the plan B. Plan C was probably storming the Capitol, right? Plan B was kicking it up to SCOTUS and these judges that we bought, you know, Brett Kavanaugh by paying off his $2,000 gambling debt and his country cup club fees and stuff was going to vote to make Trump president because they saw it worked with Bush. He was not legitimately elected, you know, and they were going to do it again. You know, Carl Rove, Carl Rove helped, you know, throw the election for Bush back in the day. So they're doing this stuff and they're still doing it. You know, the machine that gave us Trump is still well oiled. It's still consuming fuel and it's still rolling down the highway. And people need to get hip to that fact. Well, and what was the difference? I was only like seven at the time in 2000. What was the difference in the Florida election that put it to the Supreme Court? It was like less than a thousand votes, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. It was a very slim margin, you know, and, and it was hanging chads and it was all this. There was they were doing legitimate recounts. And then Karl Rove and the GOP said, like, let's disrupt it. The same thing you see now, like performative 
you know, kind of trolling. So they called it the Brooks Brothers riots. And they got these outside firms to start paying people to go down to Miami-Dade and these places that they were doing these recounts and try to break in and bang on the windows and be like, you're cheating. You're not counting that, Chad. You're not counting that vote. The same thing we saw play out in this last election. It was just all concentrated down there in Florida. And they kept recounting and it basically went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, George W. Bush is, is president. You know, they threw it to, to to Bush. And I don't remember the exact numbers or whatever, but it wasn't legit. But for the good of the country, Al Gore was a bigger man and he conceded. You know, he said, OK, fine. You know, we're, we're, we have a peaceful transfer of power. You know, if Trump had been in that same position, he would never concede, as we're seeing now. He's still not conceding. And it wasn't even close, <laughs> you know, like Trump lost by more than anyone had ever lost by before and he's still pretending he didn't so it was the same sort of thing it was just writ large and you had a better quality gop guy back then i mean and 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 you know bush was horrible like i hated him but he's you know he's a road scholar like you know <laughs> wonderful like you know human being compared to donald trump you know whatever he was he wasn't like you know he wasn't some evil scumbag dude in diapers snorting adderall all day you know only thinking about himself you know which is trump now he's just walking around mar-a-lago apparently anybody who'll listen he's talking about this recount in arizona because he's crazy and 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 rudy giuliani is crazy that's the other thing is that we have a real mental illness problem in this country and there's no shame in mental illness. You know, I have mental issues I've dealt with. Right. You know, like we all do. Like I've seen therapists. It's good for you to get help. Life is not easy. You know, so 100%. I'm not right. What's that? A hundred percent. Right. This is not disparaging anybody who deals with, with mental illness. I'm in recovery. Addiction is a form of mental illness, right? There, there's no shame in it. You know, you get help and you get better, right? You deal with it out in the open. But we have a huge mental illness problem in this country. And Trump and Giuliani were as mentally ill as you could be for their entire careers in the public life. They were extreme narcissists, just like Joe Manchin is now trying to hold everything up for the Democrats. He's a narcissist, you know? Yeah. It's people like that can only think about themselves. The last thing you want in a leader is somebody who only thinks about themselves. And that's what these guys are. And that's what addiction is, it's compulsion. You're only thinking about your own self-interest. That's Giuliani. That's Donald Trump. You know, five months after he lost six, seven months after he lost the election, anybody who'll listen, let me tell you about this recount in Arizona. <laughs> you know, like that's crazy. His kids know he's crazy. You know, Ivanka's not hanging out with him anymore. She's pretty much fallen off the map. And but Don Jr. is apparently in charge of his whole strategy and his reelection strategy because he thinks he's going to run in 2024. He's, he's so, raising funds. Go. So it begs the question for me. Trump is aware that he's lost. He just won't accept it. Like, yes, I guess I guess with what I'm saying is like, you know, when he when he was talking about Yo Yovanovitch and he said, take her out like he's being he's aware of everything right. he's doing. Yes, he's just, he's just trying to control the narrative like he's always been told. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, he's completely aware. He's a mob boss. He's obsessive. So that's why he's still talking about it. That's what an addicted mind does. You know, you obsess on stuff and just think about yourself. So his con right now is that he still won the election, but he knew he lost that morning. If you saw him, 
he went to the morning of the election on November 4th. He went to a, one of his campaign headquarters in Virginia, Northern Virginia, and he gave this really low energy speech. And the polls were still open, but it wasn't the Donald Trump you knew. That was because I guarantee you they got internal you know, numbers back and they were like, there's no way you're going to win this thing. Right. So mm -hmm. he knew that morning he lost and then he had to sort of regin up his disappointment and get his ego fed again to like, all right, now we're going into recount mode. And if you remember, he came out that night at three in the morning or two thirty in the morning, <laughs> he was all high out of his mind and sniffing and stuff because he'd been using the drugs to make him feel like, OK, I'm powerful again. I'll just make everybody feel that it was stolen from me, which is aggrievement. Resentment is a huge thing in addiction. You know, you get resentful and you get you get sort of you feed yourself this narrative of how you've been wrong how you're the victim. You know, it's how he addressed the Giuliani situation this week. He said, nobody's ever seen anything like this before. It's so unfair. He said the same thing about Michael Cohen when Michael Cohen's apartment got raided. You know, yes, we've all seen this kind of thing before. That's what happens. The FBI raids your house when they get a warrant, when they know you've committed crime and there's evidence of that crime in your residence. A judge signs off on it and it's very hard to do. They don't do it willy nilly, especially not for powerful men. They do it when you, they got you already dead to rights. And ironically, Rudy Giuliani is the guy who invented that kind of strategy in the Southern District of New York. It was Giuliani who used that same like going balls out thing that he used against the Italian mob, as I said later in the earlier in the show, that he was trying to break up on behalf of the Russian mob and on behalf of Trump's you know business interests. It's now come back to bite him in the ass. Right. But to your point, yes, Trump knows he lost, but he knows the only way his ego can still feel alive, because for Trump, it's not about holding power or anything. It's about feeling validated because he's so deeply insecure as a human being. He's so broken as a soul that he needs to feel like he's winning, right? That he's the most powerful man on the earth. You know, most guys would be like, so what? I got to do it for four years. I hated the job. I sucked at it. I own a golf course, you know, like, let me just chill out down here in Florida. He didn't want the job. He never did the job when he had it. Right. So yeah. it's not about that. It's about the grift and the I'm the most powerful guy in the world. So, yes, he knew he lost. And he knew if I'm glad you brought that tape up because a lot of people would say Trump has dementia. Like I hated seeing that on Twitter. I promise you the guy doesn't have dementia. He's not mentally fit. And, you know, and he feeds his body fat and salt. So his brain is not healthy, but he knows what he's doing. So these people that were feeding like those accounts that talk about Trump having dementia, that's BS. OK, and that's only helping his case because that'll be one of his excuses when he finally gets busted. He's going to be like, I had dementia. You know, didn't you see it on Twitter? I had dementia. But if you listen to the, you know, listen to the Georgia tape when he called up the guy in Georgia and said, hey, I just need 11,000 votes. And the guy's like, no, I can't do that. Well, maybe you could find a way to do that. You know, people would be really happy if you did that. The guy's a mob boss. He knows how to protect his self-interest. When they had that tape that Lev Parnas or whoever shared about the meal he had in his restaurant when he was eating his big shrimp. Right. And Lev's got the little shrimp or whatever. And they bring up, you know, Ambassador Yovanovitch. He's like, take her out. Take her out right away. Get her out of there. Take her out. That's not a guy with dementia. The guy with dementia is like, what do I put the shrimp? What's the red sauce for? <laughs> you know, like right. or whatever. I'm not belittling dementia. You know, my point is he knows what he's doing. It's an act with Trump. It's a con. 
It's all a con to feed his ego, and he would blow up the planet rather than lose face. And that was the reason I spoke out in the beginning. That's why I told everybody, the guy's an addict. I don't care if you would snort it at her all, it could do your job, more power to you. You know, I worked with rock stars. You know, I'm, I've been around like drug addicts. If you can do the gig and you can perform and deliver, no problem. But if you're living with a mental illness, which is addiction, that has gotten to the point where you're compulsively only thinking about yourself and living in your resentments, then you're a danger to yourself and others. And that's what Trump was the entire time as he's president. And that's what he is as a former president, because he still has his his hands on the levers of manipulation that allow people to steal on his behalf, to question democracy on his behalf and to foment unrest on his behalf. He had no qualms about people attacking the Capitol. You know, he egged him on that whole morning. He said, I'm going to march up there with you. He knew he wasn't going with them. He, mm -hmm. you know, he, but he didn't say, I'm going to go back to the White House and watch this on TV, you know, because <laughs> I'm a pussy, you know, burn that place down. He said, I'm going to go with you. He knows what he's doing. He's a master con man in that, in that respect. He's a dumb man. He's intellectually, you know, completely inquisitive, but he's got an instinctual way to know how to motivate a certain kind of person. And that's what he's been doing his whole life. And that's what he's doing now. And that's what he's going to continue to do until you stop him. And I'll shut up. We're pretty much at the end of the hour, I think. What do you got to say, Jimmy? Uh, one story that I wanted to bring up this week. Uh, Tim Tebow, of all people, is back in uh, sports news. He got a tryout for uh, an NFL team at tight end. Uh, and for anybody that's played professional football or football at any level, for that matter, for a uh, quarterback to get a tryout at tight end, that's insulting to anybody that's tried uh, to play that position. They know how demanding it is. Uh, and it just shows you, you know, uh, Tim, Tim Tebow kneels to pray. He gets a tryout having not played in 2000, you know, since 2012. Colin Kaepernick kneels and he can't even get a tryout. Um I'm not calling, I'm not saying that there's, you know, uh, ulterior motives, but uh, it, there's a pretty clear difference as to the way certain players are viewed in the public eye and by the NFL. Good point. Good point. Yeah. It's racism, you know, and, and yeah. Tim Tebow's a nice Christian boy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so. he's not a heathen asking for human rights. He's not asking <laughs> for people not to be murdered on the street. And before he played football, he was playing baseball with the New York Mets, having not played baseball since high school. Like the guy is as privileged as it gets. So don't tell me that he's a great Christian man. He very well might be, you know, God bless him. No pun intended, but it's uh, it's not level, guys. It's it's all about, you know, ratings and who's going to get the most attention. And Tebow has positioned himself to to make a lot of money post career. Yeah. Well, he made a big name, he, you know, celebrity. I, I didn't even watch college football and I knew who Tim Tebow was, you know, and, he, and he, it's the same thing Trump's doing. You know, it's that Southern Christian kind of like white American demographic that loves that kind of stuff when you demonize the other person, you know, and I hope, you know, I don't think Jesus wants him to play tight end, but I guess we're going to find out, huh? <laughs> They, you know, I've always said the, the GMs in the NFL have forgotten more football than I know. So I, I think within a matter of minutes, they're going to figure out if Tim Tebow can play uh, tight end. He played football with the Jets for a while, and uh, that didn't work out so well. So we'll even see if he can get to the workout at this point. Yeah, we'll see what happens.
Well, oh my God. Well, another week, Jimmy. Episode nine is in the books of the Noel Kassler podcast. It's doing really well out there. So we're, we're appreciative of all you guys listening. Tell your friends and share it and, and follow us or whatever you do. You sign up for it, right, Jimmy? You subscribe to it. That's what it's called, right? Subscribe, uh, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. That's where most of the reviews uh, have been. I've been checking them out. We love you guys. Uh, also follow us. You can follow me at JBK on air on Twitter, as well as Instagram. And Noel's on the Twitter all the time. I'm That's all right. over that Twitter. I'm all <laughs> over that Twitter, folks. And I'll see you on Twitter till next week. Thanks for tuning in. Be safe. Who knows what this week has in store, but we're going to be here to talk about it this time next week. Take care, everybody.